Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. All right, guys, welcome to uh, another episode in season three here of Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. We're still we're we're back and we're uh, talking safety here another uh, another episode. So yeah, this one's coming to you lovely from lovely Davenport, Iowa, the, the homeland, the metropolis of Davenport, the metropolis, the 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 Quad City area. I guess it's not actually metropolis because that's that's a town in Illinois. Isn't where Superman's from? Metropolis. From but if you ever go, it's, yeah, it's, it's like it's near where my aunt my aunt lives there, and they have like a the, Superman statue. Yeah, there's like a right in front of City Hall. There's like a 15 foot tall Superman or whatever. The air conditioner must have just started. Anyways, uh, Fred Redunzel here with Quad City Safety um, along with Dave White. Um, we are there at all your social media. Um, there's <laughs> Social media, you can reach out to us. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, we're active in all three, trying to deliver some content from uh, those spaces. Um, so if you guys have any questions, please feel free to hit us up. Just trying to send you guys home safe at night. Yeah. So uh, if you prefer email, I'm Fred at QuadCitySafety.com. He's Dave at QuadCitySafety.com. Um, feel free to reach out to us with really anything you got, PPE, safety related. If you just want to say, hey, what's up? I'm enjoying the podcast. We would love to hear from you. Um, like I said, we're going to keep doing it as long as somebody's listening to it. So um, really appreciate you guys listening. So. Once again, we're going to talk a little bit, I think, about uh, respiratory today. But before we get into that, I read a, a little article. Um, it was from ISHN Magazine. Which, what's, what does ISHN even stand for? Any idea? Uh, I feel like I've seen that one. That's, that's what it comes Safety across. Health News, I think. Yeah. So anyways, they wrote an article here about how safety can learn from marketing. I thought there was a couple like interesting like principles in here kind of to think about, but I'm just going to read the first paragraph and then we'll just chat a little bit about some of the other bullet points. But it said, the senior VP of marketing at a Fortune 500 company told me he wanted his customers to feel like buying his product was the most logical decision they had ever made. He wanted his marketing research to ensure that his product would exactly fulfill its purpose and both meet and exceed the customer's specific needs. He went on to describe how he wanted his follow-up service to his product to reinforce the buying decision at every level. He wanted his brand to become the symbol of satisfaction and create customer loyalty. So kind of what he's trying to, how he kind of makes the correlation is consider for a moment that the difference between this approach and what the average corporate safety program has. Most companies view their workers as safety's problem rather than safety's customer. And so I I think it's kind of a cool concept to look at it and, and instead of saying, man, Dave is messing up my bonus that I get because he keeps cutting his hand off, rather, you know, needs two stitches in his hand and that's messing up my day, that if you really look at it as in, Dave is your customer as a safety person. Well, there's there's a push to go more towards behavioral-based systems. Yeah. And so to really control... I mean, if you don't control people's behavior, you're not going to control any safety factors. Right. So if you if you create it versus, you know, unfortunately in 
whether it's construction or uh, industry, the safety director's always kind of like, kind of, kind of usually like a, a villain. Yeah. You know, he's a he's a he's a villain, or he's an enforcer, or he's somebody that doesn't. Uh, how to say? He's looked at different than what he should be, which is uh, an advocate, or you know, you know, framing it a little bit different. Right. And uh, again, where the where the article gets cool is you know looking at safety as a product, and then figuring out you know when you when you market a product, you're trying to figure out again, like he said, whether it's features and benefits. But what what is the end user what is the end user's experience need to be? Right. So if the you know if if all we got to do is turn the air on. <laughs> To, to to get everybody acting a little bit more safe. Yeah. And we just we, we approach it from the y'all quit you know, quit getting heat stress, but we don't turn the air on, then we're not really paying attention to really the the you know, the experience there. Yeah, or this guy's piece of clothing that we're making him wear every single day is completely uncomfortable and for a dollar more we could have him in something that's comfortable which is going to make him more efficient. And then all of a sudden, yeah, and then, efficiency goes off, and then yeah. widgets fly out of out of the line. And, and then he off. talks to his buddy about how great it is that we got these new shirts and how much our company cares about us. And maybe his buddy that works for a different company that's in the shitty shirt, yeah. he tells his buddy, hey, you should really come work for us. They got us these great shirts. They really care about us. And so it's like marketing your safety program to your employees um, and then I think it's getting buy getting buy in from the top. Yeah. So it's an easier way to. I don't know if you talk to the decision makers or the leadership level at whatever company that you're at, and kind of explain to them that this is the program that you you kind of want to run and you want to run it like this. I think it all will make sense um, in kind of the long run, sort of. Well, it, it will. Yeah. I mean, because they'll yeah. see the dollar. You know. Production's going to increase and yeah. because you're doing it this way, so maybe yeah. you spend a little more. Even up if front. production doesn't increase, but you you do get that behavioral base, right? And all of a sudden, instance goes down. You're going to save on you know work comp costs. You're going to save, you know, you're going to save on a lot of different things. You know, it's it's going to be hard to really how to say. I think some people always want to be able to. If we can't put it in a spreadsheet and prove it out in a week, then it right. doesn't exist or yeah. it's not real. And, you know, uh, I've mentioned the study a, a number of times as we've talked is, you know, they've, they've, they've gone back and looked at spend and safety, whether it's personal protective equipment or training over time. And there's, there's a, over, it's, I think it's like $2.12 return on every dollar that you put into it. Yeah. And they measured that across multiple industries but across multiple costs, you know, or cost centers. So... Uh, it's something that it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, takes a little time. Takes a little time to get right, and you got to believe in the process. Yeah. Well, I think you're like in marketing, like your customer. If your customer can be your biggest advocate and sell your product for for you, it makes your job a lot easier. So, like, if your workers that are working under you appreciate what you're doing for them and are an advocate for your safety program then that word kind of spreads around your place. And then all of a sudden, you got 10 guys that were working safely. It kind of becomes cool to work safely uh, because of 
you know, we're doing such uh, this great job and we're getting rewarded in this way and our company cares so much about us. I'm going to work that much harder. And, you know, it's just spreads like a wildfire, right? Yeah. So anyways, just thought that was kind of a cool article. So looks like it was all the way back in 2016, but it just got on Fred's doorstep today is when the thing was written. So <laughs> He's a little behind. In pretty cool, reading. but if you guys want a copy of that, definitely reach out to us, uh, and I can go ahead and share that with you. So, But today, wanted to talk a little bit about... Uh, you probably posted on our LinkedIn. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I'll, I can share it right after that. So, um, Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit today about respiratory protection. Yeah, I got I got thinking about this, and it took me back to the days, um, you know, in your head you go back, and I'm like, when should I have worn a respirator? And all of a sudden, immediately two things came up that were easy. Yeah. One was, you know, yeah, I grew up around, you know, throwing hay and baling hay and being in a hay barn. Yeah. And I, I can remember, man, at the end of the day, you'd always get out there, and you would you would literally pick your nose, and you would have these boogers that, I mean... I mean, they were, they were rocks. Right. And I'm sitting there going, you know, immediately I think, I think back and I'm like, yeah, we probably wouldn't have been comfortable to have a respirator on there, but I'm not sure what, uh, you know, yeah. what I, luckily I wasn't the allergic kid, I guess, but, uh, right. no telling what I could have inhaled. Yeah. Another one was, you know, we used to always spray, we, we, working in the back patch, we'd always spray a bunch of chemicals. Ain't no telling what, you know. You're making it. You're, if you're if you're taking it through a pump spray, you're turning it into an aerosol. Yep. So it's airborne. We're walking around. It's killing things. So it's probably not the best to breathe. So, you know, going back and looking at you know the stories there is when when and what did I do? Well, yeah, that was that was probably two places that one would have been one kind of respirator, another one would have been another. Yeah, I had two. Uh... Two has I got a bunch of water in my basement like seven or eight years ago, and I know that there was two simultaneous hazards that I was working under. It was one was the drywall got completely wet, and then it started getting moldy. Yeah. So I just moldy drywall all over. So removing that, pulling it off with my hands, yeah, splattering on my face, yeah, and doing that. So should have had a respirator for that. And then there was little little like twelve inch tiles on the floor like drain oh, tile that's as best as a tile runner. <laughs> and so of course i had the the floor scraper thing just knocking those tiles popping them right up yeah, yeah wearing no respirator so yeah. i probably am gonna really miss what between 2034 and 2038 that i would have lived through yeah. i could have seen that stuff but instead i'll yeah. i'll check out it whenever was your dad in the basement you know how they have these commercials yeah. anymore was yeah. your dad doing this between this year and this year you can sue the hell out of somebody right you know, yeah just call this number they should have told you about the asbestos <laughs> tile in the basement yeah not to do that when your drywall got wet now they have a probably drywall that can get wet uh yeah well green board drywall but yeah, it could be submerged i bet you that stuff can still get mold on the outside of it though probably yeah well, mold grow anywhere. A little mold, a little mold never hurt you. As long as it's not black. Can't always shit was black. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Don't breathe. At least it was black in color. I, well, was I don't guess it's right always black. In. Yeah. There's, there's other molds that are hazardous. Good <laughs> no, when I had my I had my lung issues, that was one of the things that uh, I was in the hospital almost a year ago. Yeah. And they would come in one day and they'd be like, "Well, we got to test you for bat shit." And then it would be, we got to test you for weird mold strains, you know, because they were, couldn't figure out what, What's going what on. was yeah. triggering me or whatever. 
And so it, I didn't know that there were so many tests that they could, you know, they would come in and they would hand me like a, a lab cup and then give me like some albuterol where I'd start hawking up loogies and then they would run down to test your loogie. Yeah. And run down and they must have certain tests that look for this battery of whatever it is. Right. So yeah, sorry about that, but no, <laughs> I digress. So main points of this, ask for uh, examples of jobs that require respiratory protection. And I would say that's anyone that's wearing safety equipment. There's a good possibility that what they're doing could require respiratory protection in some mm-hmm. sort, whether it's painting or construction or working with any chemical or any manufacturing plant, welding, you're around a lot of dust. It's probably something to take a look at and kind of do a hazard assessment there and, realize, and figure out whether or not well, you need. I, probably the, the biggest problem with it is it becomes that complacency issues of, well, I'm only, I'm only going to do this for like, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's not the best way to go about it because you don't really always know how much, unless you've had somebody, an industrial hygienist come in there and figure out what you're getting. Maybe you get a full dose of, you know, you know, you only need one microgram per cubic meter for whatever, and, and you're right. in a ton of it, and you suck it all up in a couple minutes. Well, well and, we've, and we've talked a little bit about the, the silica standard, yeah. which I think now with general industry is supposed to, isn't general industry that's yeah. passing something with silica that's supposed to be happening uh, yeah, pretty it, quick? It triggers July? September-ish. Was it September? Yeah, it's it something like that. It's, it's very soon. Yeah. But people don't realize. How dangerous. Well, they don't realize how dangerous, number one, it is. But yeah. number two, they don't understand where all it's at. Yeah. And you literally, anybody wants to know. Go to your your well now your SDS book and flip through and if you see if you see quartz or you see silica in it you got a problem because we we had one of the recent ones which was blew my mind because I hadn't thought about it was um, we had a customer that was using a uh, just kitty litter kitty litter you know to to pick up to use using as a sorbent right right what's in it. The hell if I know. I don't know. I'm sure it's different in different High ways. level of quartz. Okay. High level of silica. What do you do usually after you put that on there? You sweep it. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're making you're you're literally making pushing these quartz. Dust puddles right you're now. literally making quartz or airbound, which yeah. is fundamentally not what you want it to you do not want that to happen. Yeah. Um, so long story short is even something as simple as that, you know. I guess most people think that the exposure is, am I cutting concrete? Well, no, there's there's more to it than that. Yeah. Well, that's the one, too, that's you breathe that thing in, and it's little razor blades just cutting up your insides as you breathe that stuff no, in. No, that's right? not true. I thought that was the one that was silica, that it had, like, sharp to cut inside you when you, when you breathe it in. That's Mistaken? A, Misnomer? A, that's a misconception. Okay. So, basically, silica um, is a little tiny particle. Okay, then when you breathe it in, gets into your lungs, and people a lot of times think it just cuts the lungs up. Yeah. What it does is the lung gets it, grabs a hold of it, and goes, "This is bad. I need to kill it." Then your own body creates antigens to kill it. That all it does is kill your lung. It kills your lungs. Okay. So 
it's something that's not supposed to be there that then your lungs have a chemical reaction and then destroy your lung. Okay. So that's actually... What's in the, I didn't know that it? until probably a year ago. Yeah. I, I was under that same conception of it's sharp and it yeah. hacks it up. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so how about the importance of uh, like engineering controls um, and how you can work to reduce the threat of hazards? Well, in construction... If you look at uh, the process there, um, uh, it, there's a table out there that kind of goes job by job and says if you're doing this, yeah, and then says you know, and most of them is the engineering controls typically water, okay. You know, so, like if I'm if I'm if I'm uh, running a concrete saw, you know. Every day, I'll leave here, I'll head down 80 towards the house, and I will see some jackass standing there just cutting concrete with a big cloud, you know. He's got the best tan in Davenport and, you know. No sleeves. Yeah, looks like he's just rocking it. And it's, He's got the, just, the salt and pepper hair from the dust. Yeah, just literally, you know, just, I don't, you know, just covered in it. And yeah. it's like, that's not good. Uh-uh. When theoretically... All you kind of got to have is a garden hose. It's not that easy, but just a water source, having a water going up, you know, doing a wet cut right. would completely eliminate everything that's going on there. But what happens? Yeah, you're not going to take the time to do that. Don't have the water source or, we, yeah. or you know, there's there's something that goes on. And then you, then you have the problem. Yeah. So, you know, just going back into you're talking about engineering controls is – Engineering controls doesn't necessarily uh, extract everything, but it can limit the amount of PPE that you have to wear. Ventilation. Yep, ventilation can do the same major thing. Major one. Can you think of other examples? Um, I'm trying to think of other examples that I've heard is you know. That's kind of what I was thinking. Well, a lot of it's you know like some of it. Uh, you, you always get these people show you these weird case studies, right? You know. And some of the weird case studies were like, yeah, they were working on um, a parking ramp, but this part of the parking ramp appeared to be open air, but it was closed off by two sides, you know what I'm saying, where there was no ventilation. Yeah. And the exposure in there was astronomically high because it didn't it didn't really dissipate like in an you know an open air environment. Right. And and they didn't test it that way. They okay. had tested the open air, so they're like, oh, this everything's good, and then. Down here is where they found out that, you know, thing, things were really, really, really bad. Yeah. I think another thing that I read about when it comes to engineering controlled, like, where the work is actually done. Like, so maybe it can be where I'm doing the work and I'm exposing myself to it, so I'm wearing the correct PPE, but the area that I'm doing, other people aren't exposed to it, so you don't have to have 20 different people wearing PPE because this thing that I'm working on is also going out the doorway into their workspace, so Correct. they also need to be protected from it. No doubt about it. So it's it. kind of limiting other people's exposure. And when you told me we were talking about this, it triggered uh, the worst industrial accident that ever happened where deaths occurred was related to silica. Okay. And it was called Golly Mountain was a project, and it was in West Virginia, and basically... I believe it was related to the railroad, and they were just trying to bore a hole through a mountain. Well, the mountain mountain ended up being granite, which has a high 
silica component in it. Okay. And so there was five, and here's, here, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember the numbers or whatever. There was 5,000 people on that project. And it was multiple, I think it was like a four or five year project. So 5,000 people on the project, Twenty five. they figured 2,500 people were exposed, which mean, meant they were underground and working on, you know, right. whatever there. Of the 2,500 people that were allegedly exposed, 1,500 of them ended up with ciliosis. 764 died because of, you know, the fact that at their workplace yeah, like they were 30% exposed. Yeah, of but, those people that were exposed to it. So I mean, that's that's Insane. that's crazy, right? I mean, can you imagine who would who would want to work there? Yeah, I mean, you have a fatality now, and nobody wants to step in the door, much less, you know. Guess what? You got you got two out of three chances. You're gonna come home tonight, right? That's horrible odds. And that was only the the thing about that was that was in the 1930s. And you would say, well, nobody really knew about that. Well, they already knew about it because Greeks and Romans had already written about the fact that they realized there was already a problem with silica. So it goes back to Greek and Roman times where they had already identified that, you know, stone masons and people that worked around that stuff were getting sick. We're getting sick and dying of respiratory issues at younger ages than anybody else. So if you can figure that out without. You're having a you know an iPhone or an Android phone yeah, or a tablet million, and two million people writing about it on the internet. It, yeah, that you can figure it out. Then we, sh- you know, it, it becomes the whole thing is we just become complacent and ignorant about stuff that we've already figured out. Yeah, and we can do better. Always do better. Kind of say. Yep. So how about some? Uh, I got some basic info for ensuring job site respiratory programs are safe and compliant. So. I kind of took some of this info from this right on OSHA's website. So you can kind of elaborate on maybe a couple of these, but written worksite specific procedures. It's just having it <laughs> defined. Well, you have to have every, right? every time you have like a hazard or whatever, you should have a program. And the program is just basically documentation of here's what's going on, here's in, who's in kind of in charge of making sure that. We do all these things, and all yeah. these things are in the list. Here's the work that we're doing. Yeah, and and just document it so that it's something. It's a, a live, it, and it needs to be reviewed because right. everything changes over time, and that's where we get ignorant and complacent. Yep. So, selection of appropriate respirator. Um, this says approved by NIOSH. Um, so, there's charts. Uh, pretty much every one of these respirators that you can buy has a chart for what you're working with. Yeah, because you tell you, you have, exactly what cartridge that you need. You'll have fumes, work. you'll have fibers, you'll have particulates, you'll have vapors. You may be in a situation where it's IDLH, meaning there's a there's such a composition of stuff that you are going to expire. You can asphyxiate for lack of oxygen. Respirator's not really going to help you there. Yeah. But, you know, well, filtering face piece or anything, if you had a SCBA or something like that on there. Yep. Yes, but. So then I got training and fit testing. Yep. And then inspection, cleaning, maintenance, and storage, which probably should be part of your training. The only thing that I'll about your list, not to mm-hmm. not to go after you, is medical evaluation should be first. Okay. I don't know necessarily this is in order. I'm just saying. But um, medical evaluation is next. So. You know why that is? Why? Why you want to have a medical evaluation first? Because you could 
potentially be harmed by the fit testing, right? Correct. Yeah. You could have old boy that's like, you know, one cheeseburger away from death that, you know, you throw him on there and it's just enough stress that it throws him maybe into a cardiac event. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that somebody pointed out to me is there's actually uh, some psychological questions. So you could literally put somebody in a face piece that's claustrophobic and have them flip shit on you. Right. So, so there's this, drop. Yeah. So there's, you know, always have that. We have people that always, we do fit testing here at Quad City Safety. We do quantitative and qualitative. But one of the things that we don't do is we're, we're, we're not doctors. You can right. tell by this podcast that there's nobody here that's got there's that. no PhD. Else. No, no post old diggers here. So. <laughs> So with that said, you need to show up with your own uh, medical evaluation, but there's a reason that that's first, and yeah. then, then then the other triggering events. And then we got work area surveillance and air quality standards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... So most of the time that's going to be you have somebody come in and run those tests, you have, right? You have another nerd. You have a, you know an uh, industrial hygienist, a CIH, come in, and basically... Um, they kind of got to know what you're doing and they kind of need to have some conversations. Otherwise, you know, it's not like they come in and they have like this meter that they just hold up like a microphone and they can go, oh, well, you have this, 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 and this. Yeah. You kind of have to go, we're putting all this stuff in here so it could be this, 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 or this. And then that the industrial hygienist comes in and measures and goes, yep, you got that. You don't need to worry about that. You got that, and kind of picks through it. Yeah. All right. Well, that gives us some pretty good. I don't know. That's a pretty good conversation on that. So I'm going to move on to uh, this week's dumbass of the week. It's the dumbass of the week. Now, this guy I've met. I met personally, in just one of the fit testing like classes that I did where. You ran through, you know, 150 people in a couple days coming through and doing fit testing. And there's at least one of these guys in every large group that you do. He's got a long beard. He's got a big bushy beard. And he doesn't have to shave. He just, he doesn't have to because they haven't, yet they haven't told him or maybe they mentioned to him, hey, you need to be clean shaven for this. And he shows up with a full beard anyway. And he needs to get fit tested to do his work. And usually there's no one from the company around when they do this. This guy shows up and confronts you and you tell him, I can't fit test you with that beard. And so he argues with you. Well, of course, they're always, I was fit tested in the past with this beard on and I had no problem. And I think a lot of times what happens is they put the respirator on over their big beard. They have the mask up against their face. You spray the solution, someone sprayed the solution on them, the solution just goes right into their beard, soaks up into it, and they don't actually ever taste the solution, so therefore they're not in danger. Um, no, they taste it. Do you think all, they always will taste it? I think some of that can get caught up in their, caught up I, in their filter, I guess, I guess theori- in their filtering beard. I guess theoretically, but... I, That's the only way I've been able to justify that they can't taste it, or they're just a liar. That's they're also a liar. possible. Most of, well, well, there's two things going on there. Yeah. One is, yes, people will lie to keep their Duck Dynasty beard. Yeah. But number Sharp two, dressed man. But number two is some of the solutions like Vitrex um, is a saline-based solution 
and there's like I want to say it's around one percent so one out of every hundred persons can't taste salt yeah so if you can't taste salt you can't taste because again it is not a quantitative it's a qualitative so it's a subjective test going hey this is what it tastes like tell me if you taste this yeah and if they can't taste it because you'll get you know you'll get people you haven't even scrubbed the bulb and they're like yep i taste it yeah and it's like you, you can't because right. it doesn't it's not here yet yeah although sometimes i think if you're doing it in a small enough room oh and maybe yeah. they're standing over there while their buddies i will i will tell you because i can usually taste it when i'm make sure it. and always wash your hands or wear gloves okay before you go eat lunch yeah because i've made that mistake of of i gotta wash my lips like picking up food or something and going to take a bite of it and i almost losing my cookies yeah when i end up doing enough fit tests like like one of those days where i do you know 60 70 people in one day i'll end up getting something to drink from a water fountain like in between sessions and i can just taste it on my lips it's hard to get it off your lips once it's on there you have to it's it's shower time yeah so that guy is definitely the dumbass of the week because the reason that you're getting fit tested is to make sure that this respirator that you're wearing will protect you from whatever you're trying to protect yourself against and if you're not giving your if you're lying or you're like the chemical that you're working with is probably not going to get caught up in your beard so that's why you don't even fit test somebody that has that type of facial hair hair that will mess up that seal so anyways we're gonna move back on or moving on here to the safety q a this week um, just a couple questions that I received, and I'm going to have Dave answer them. So number one, are we able to tie off with a retractable to a pipe? I'm going to emphatically say no. Okay. And the reason I say no is not that you might not be able to. Right. But there's so many things wrong that if somebody's asking that question, they haven't worked through all the little things that we have to think about. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to go no, and then we're going to work to yes. Yeah. So, no. Right. Okay. But if, number one is what kind of, you know, when you're talking about that retractable, that personal fall limiter, is it designed for that? Does it have a, you know, a, a tieback capability? Because really you can't wrap around it and tie back into the webbing unless it's designed for that. Right. So, first of all, we got to make sure is that the right thing then then there's a whole plethora of stuff <laughs> to work on after that is number one there's not many pipes that because now the pipe becomes the anchor point right it's not a certified anchor point so it's got to be able to withstand five thousand pounds most like the pipes connected to something else so and what is that you know doing? so yeah exactly so how how long is this span of pipe and how is it you know how is it uh you know most pipes just have some generic pipe hangers that, you know. Yeah, what's it made of? You know, can you imagine the guy sitting there and it's got those. The orange caps those, on the end of it? Well, no, it's got the BS, like, uh, you've seen those pipe hangers that are just little plastic J-clips that yeah. you just kind of. It's like it's just holding up an overhead light or yeah. something like that. And so, realistically, no. And what's going through the pipe? Is yeah. it, most pipes in places have stuff going through them right. most likely if you're this guy doing it it's going to be is it a conduit bad idea electricity yeah is it maybe steam maybe it's chemicals maybe it's a compressed gas just 
No. Let's just go with no. Yeah. These are. I'm not gonna say you can't. No. Yeah. But I'm gonna say no. Yeah. Unless somebody's rated that thing for fall protection somehow. Um, And I'll guarantee you they haven't. Right. So that right there is where somebody like an us can come in and help you out. Like the answer is probably no on that, but. Here's where we can tie off. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is. Here's we the always solutions. forget that it's 2018. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all people kinds, out there to help. There's well, there's there's a million different anchor points now. Right. To where it used to be kind of like, it's well, what do you, what do you what do you do here? There's yeah. nothing to do. Which you know I got that also. Yeah, but I can also understand your work in there. There's not a lot of stuff to tie off to, and you got your rebar hook on your. On the end of your retractable, and you can just throw it on that pipe, and you're good to go. Yeah. But got to look at it a little bit more than that. All right, number two. Are cut-resistant gloves just cut-resistant on the palm? Um, depends what glove it is. Okay. Um, there's you got to really pay attention to the glove because uh, most of the time when you're when you look at it and it has A and it'll have a number, and the number goes from one to nine, so it'll say A one to A nine. And that basically is the cut rating of the glove. Well, to get that, they get on the glove and they take a piece of it that they test. Most of the time, that is from palm. Well, when we start talking about cut resistance, you know, cut resistance is not always the same on a glove 360 degrees. Okay. So if we take a glove that's a, I mean, I would say 85% of what we sell is palm-coated cut-resistant gloves. So it's it's got a polymer on the palm and a shell. Yeah. So there's a cut-resistant shell with a polymer on the palm. Yes. The That will test higher than just the polymer on the, the, uh, the shell will test higher than just the shell itself because there's more stuff to cut through. But isn't normally... The entire glove, what they would have to rate it for in most cases? Most of the time, it's the, the test is done out of the palm. So, like, if it was an, an A4 glove, you're saying that you would not get A4 protection on the back of the hand? Uh, it, would, it would vary. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of gloves that are not 360 degrees. If you look at their, if you look at their literature, um, there's a lot of mechanic styles. Right. There's most, you know, most of the time, if if you're wearing a tight fitting shell, the tight fitting shell is the cut resistant thing. Right. But if you've got your hand in a leather drivers yeah. or some type of mechanics, a lot of times they don't want to get them big and bulky, so they know that most of the lacerations are going to happen in the palm of the hand. Right. And so they just put whether it's Kevlar or whether you know there's a million different things that they'll put just in the palm. Right. So then it becomes a I'm always leery of them because it gives you a false sense of security. Yeah. Because yeah, again, where's the cutoff point until the next well, until I'm the dumbass of the week again. I, if I think I got cut resistant gloves on, and I maybe go to you know pick something up, I'm not going to think as much of well maybe it's going to you know maybe it hits me you know right in the back part of my thumb crotch you know back up here in the meat. Yeah, you're carrying a piece of glass and the piece of glass shatters and it's. All going all over hand. the place, yeah. and you, you sit there and you go, well, that would been nice to know that it was going to cut right through. My palms are fine. Yeah, I'm looking rosy. All right, that's good enough. Uh, 
the third one I got is back into respiratory. Must I be me- medically evaluated? And we touched on this a little bit, but must I be medically evaluated and cleared by a doctor to wear a respirator? Absolutely. Okay. Um, again, I think earlier we kind of hit on some of the stuff that they were looking for is number one, they, they need to go through the, the whole questionnaire. Um, maybe, you know, you hit, you may hit some like, are you an asthmatic or have you, do you smoke a lot? Right. Well then, then they need to take a spirometer and actually, you know, can you maintain enough volume to breathe through a respirator? Right. Because you are like your furnace pulling air through a filter and over time the filter gets full so it becomes more tasking than breathe. So they need to make sure that your body's able to do it. They need to make sure that it's not going to freak you out mentally. Right. So there's there's things in there's things in that medical evaluation that needs to, to happen. Okay. Um, the medical evaluation once you have it um, can be good for a period of time. That's that's a misnomer. Is if you have a medical evaluation and you go, you have to be fit tested annually. Right. But you don't necessarily have to have a medical evaluation annually. annually. Okay. You can have a medical evaluation that lasts multiple years. But if there's anything that changes in your health, you need to take a look at it. Yeah, well, that's something that we didn't touch on earlier when we were talking about fit testing. Is it doesn't necessarily even have to be your health that gets that that changes. It can be your body shape. Yeah, like you could have did surgery. Did you gain weight? Did you did lose you weight? Break did you, your jaw? Like, yeah, there's did, all kinds of things. Yeah, did something on your face change that is going to affect the seal of the respirator? Correct. So sometimes all right. you know if you. My double chin turns into a triple chin, trying to make sure that... Let's have it go the other way. Yeah, How about the well, double goes to a single? Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Maybe I go down in size. Yeah, double cheese goes down hasn't to the single been, cheese. That's been a rule of thumb in my life, though. <laughs> Usually, what goes up does not come no, down. No, I just add more X's. <laughs> well, that's enough of the serious business for today. So, all this talk about respirators got me thinking of masks. And so, I brought up some of my favorite... And really, I just stole a list from some random site on the internet, but... Horror movie villains. A lot of times they're wearing a mask. So, are you a big horror movie fan? You like um, I can't say that uh, I'm like the perfect one, but yeah. I don't mind them. Right. I get... Sometimes I'll get bored. It better be pretty compelling I, I, I guess I... I'm trying to think how old I was. At some point in time when I was little, little, they sat me in front of the TV and I watched Salem's Lot. Okay. Yeah, I know what that is. And it completely like... Gotcha. I didn't sleep for like a week. Yeah, children and then in the anytime corn. somebody would go, "Hey, you want to watch a horror movie?" You know, my head went, "Nah, I'm good. That's a bad idea." Yeah, I did Children of the Corn at too young of an age. Yeah, so you get what I'm saying yep. is you completely flip your stuff. So it took me probably until my I was probably 17 before I'm like, "Okay, let's give this another run." Right. Okay. <laughs> then you're in. Especially if the girl that you're kind of trying to be with likes those horror movies it's a it's not a bad genre to be in yeah yeah well yeah well it's more fun for us than uh the notebook or something yeah. like that i'll shed a tear at the notebook too but oh my it's just my style all right i'm show, showing dave some pictures so it's bad podcasting here because you can't see the picture <laughs> but showing him here so we got oh chucky uh, uh didn't didn't chucky even have uh a girlfriend was there. Eventually, they made the bride of Chucky. Okay, bride of Chucky. Yeah, there I believe go. so. Chucky was number one on the list. Yeah, Chucky really freaked out my uh, my daughter. She was like 
deathly. How old your daughter's like thirteen now. So how old was she when she saw Chucky? No, well, it was probably on Netflix or something. Okay, I, you know, it was it's a recent, but it was literally like something that you know. She walks into the room and you know, I forget what his, what he would say, but he you know those little beady evil yeah. eyes would come on there, and she you know that was not a good. Yep. Well, not good. I got Jigsaw. I never you, really got. You never saw Saw. Saw. I just. It's pretty freaky. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of that's like, are you just into like, how can we cut up a body kind of stuff? <laughs> right. Or, yeah. yeah. I'll get you. This guy, he's a little more lighthearted, but yeah, it's the scream. That the was scream probably guy. probably my. Um, my kids are fascinated by not the scream movies, but the uh, scary movies. Scary movies. Yeah. yeah. So it's. <laughs> It's always uh, fun to see that they they took probably one of the most notable characters and that that was scary. That was pretty scary in the nineties. Was it probably ninety one or two ish? I mean, I feel like later than that. Was it later? Yeah, than like that? I, I'm thinking ninety six ish probably. Okay. But yeah, very memorable. Very memorable. Yep, gotcha. And then yeah, this guy, Pinhead. Pinhead. He's yeah. pretty freaky. Yeah, that was uh, that was another kind of you got lot lot to wrap your brain around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, just uh, the plots of these movies. You know, know, some of them are you know let's cut people up. Some of them are you know, sh- what was I watching? Yeah, saw your own arm off. Well, like one? Annabelle or okay. whatever. Have you seen that one no. about the doll Mm-mm. in the rocking chair? Uh-uh. I got about thirty minutes into that. That's enough of that. <laughs> That's that. I don't I'm even. I don't even need to mentally think that that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Norman Bates from Psycho. Yeah. That's one. There's no mask there. It's still maybe the scariest one of all. Yeah, him and his mom. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, I like Hannibal. Uh, yeah. Clarice. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> again. I mean, yeah. Where do you come up with that? Yeah, just the whole plot line. Mm-hmm. She puts the lotion on her skin, or she gets the whole just yeah, it's all the whole movie. But Hannibal yeah. Lecter, that's a freaky one. I got Leatherface. Yeah, that was probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's that's more my speed. Okay, you know, the hills have eyes, and yeah, where it's literally like. There was this family, and then they dumped a bunch of chemicals on them, and now they're all messed up. And yep. Yep. The famous mask, Jason. Oh, I can barely tell that's Jason. Yep, he's swinging an axe there, Friday yeah. the 13th. Jason Voorhees is a good one. And then my old nemesis, Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. That's when I only got called Freddy Krueger my own So what's life. his name didn't make it? Who? I mean, that's number two. Number one, Michael Myers. Oh, who are you yeah, looking for? Is yeah, that who you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I rewatched that this Halloween. Did you? I forgot how good that really. I mean, it's uh, not well produced. Yeah, it's funny when he yeah. shows up on screen. It's like all of a sudden you see his face. Well, yeah, it's that's my wife's favorite. It's Halloween. Yeah, I like it. Just how to say every time you turn around, he's like just right. like standing there, and I'm like, it's almost comical. Okay, we can tell it's not. It's 1970 because. If it's 2018 mm-hmm. and that that bastard's in my neighborhood standing there like that, <laughs> cops are, you know, they're beating him within an inch of his life. Yeah, somebody's like, you Michael Myers was <laughs> by my garage earlier. Somebody come handle this. <laughs> or or your ring goes off or whatever yeah. to your phone and you're like, creepy you're dude. Like, Michael Myers is in my, what the hell 
is this guy doing with his knife? Acting like he's going to do something. All right, that's all we got for today. Uh, we highly suggest uh, telling the new guy uh, that's working on your job site, hopefully about our podcast um, and how to find it. So we got a lot more for him. And, and if, you guys if you're store. not going to tell him about the podcast, at least keep your eye out because you can you maybe teach him a thing or two. And if you look over your corner, over the corner of your arm or something like over your shoulder. I'm trying to corner. You look over your shoulder and you see the, Michael Myers. The corner of your, your elbow. Let's talk about your elbow. Oh, okay. It's the corner of your arm. Okay. And you see old Michael Myers standing behind you, yeah, creeping yeah. out. You're going to look out for that guy. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully you can be back for next week's episode. We're trying to help a few uh, more people make it home safe. Um, get yourself a beer if you're doing that. So thank you guys for listening. Reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. Um, visit us at quadcitysafety.com. There's a pretty cool blog on there. We have a nice resources page where you can find out a lot about a lot of topics. Tell us what you think in the comments. Ask questions. Like I said, jump into our social media conversation. Get involved. So don't worry. We'll be back next week. Uh, safety's got no quitting time. Until then. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety, hashtag Safety Tales, or email them to Fred at quadcitysafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.